The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two today, Tim Hudak is here, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives. He's now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Deepika Damarla, Mississauga City Councillor, and Toronto City Councillor Brad Bradford is here with his Movember stash. Are you going to keep that thing? I think this thing's got a, a time-limited expiration date probably in the next 24 hours. So if you want to check it out, uh, take a look at the socials. But this thing is... Uh, You're not uh, fond of it? Well, you know, it's, it's not just me. It looks but, good. Well, it's, it depends who you ask. Mixed reviews. Yeah. Mixed reviews. Okay, well, probably the wife is the person who gets to decide. Yeah, she's not into it. She's not into it. Okay, it's done deal. We'll see you next week. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a Taste of the Danforth. And we're being told that it's been cancelled. Brad Bradford, I'll start with you because... The first trench has to be that uh, the city would step in with some money. Yeah, you know, obviously we're headed into some really difficult financial times at the city. These festivals are fantastic as the councillor adjacent uh, to Taste of Danforth out there in the beaches. I know a lot of folks from across the city really enjoy this. Uh, And it sounds like it came down to a decision between what would effectively be a 20% tax hike for the BIA levies. That's the fee that they pay through their property taxes for being a part of a BIA uh, or not doing the event. And you have to keep in mind, small businesses are really struggling out there right now. The cost of inflation on all of their goods, the cost of labor makes it really challenging. So I know that, you know, the mayor did a big uh, event with a bunch of the BIAs at November on November 1st talking about festivals. I know that the BIA had reached out a month ago and sort of said, hey, we're, we're cruising for some tumultuous waters here on the Taste of the Danforth. I don't know if they've been able to hammer something out, but at the end of the day, if, if we want to be the big festival city and that's a commitment for the mayor, um, you know, we're going to have to find a way to broker agreements with the BIAs and the festival operators to make sure that these things are affordable and small businesses aren't going to lose their shirts on it or uh, or they're not going to do it. Because it is a big deal. I mean, Tim Hudak, it's kind of up there with Pride and Caravana as an annual event. It is a big deal. I've enjoyed it in the past. I will confess I've not been uh, in a few years, I think even even pre-COVID. Uh, look, John, at some point, somebody has to say no. <laughs> Otherwise, the money's going to run out if it hasn't already done so. And look, this is a decision that, you know, that... that leaders would have to make because you have to weigh any kind of subsidy from the city against where is that money coming from, right? From taxpayers, from small businesses in other parts of the city that are also struggling. Do you get the big bang for the buck? And the first question I would ask is, what kind of local support do you have? And John, when I've seen that this Taste of Danforth has stumbled these last three years, on again, off again, canceled, rescued, all of that, when their own members are not looking to pony up to keep it going and their sponsorship is down, those are all bad signs. Sometimes you got to say no. And Deepika, I realize you're a counselor in Mississauga, so you don't really have a pony in this race. No, I don't. But I'm still, uh, you know, a little sad to hear that it's getting canceled. I always say it's very hard to start things, but it's just as harder, even harder to keep things going. And it's always nice when you can say it's you know, this festival has been around for 50 years, but I think Tim Hudak made some excellent points. The numbers have to work and there has to be local support. And I'm wary of putting ever more things onto the taxpayer to subsidize. If the sponsors are not coming forward, well, then that's not going to happen. But it's a, sh- it's a shame because, as you know, I've patterned the taste of Cookswell. It was very successful last year. And we hope to continue uh, inspired by Taste of Danforth. So, yes, yeah, sorry to see it go. 
What do you make of uh, a feature that we sent to everybody this morning? A hotel could be cheaper than an apartment in the city of Toronto. Tim Hudak, maybe that, I mean, it's a special deal. It's $199.9 for a month plus tax. Um, and it's a means by which the hotel can rack a number of rooms and know that they're gone for a month and then they can worry about the tourism. But does that actually just tell us more about what it costs to rent an apartment in this city? It, it does, right? It's a symptom of, of the problem out there. I mean, good for the business, offering this, looking for a way to pay the bills and at the same time provide accommodation to people uh, in need. We're in a housing crisis, whether that's owned homes or on rentals, because we simply underbuilt for more than two decades. And when you have more and more people coming to the city, millennials coming into the marketplace, and now Gen Z when it comes to rentals and hopefully some ownership, you've got more people circling fewer and fewer chairs, places to actually stay. So, you know, good for them in filling that interim gap, but it reminds us that we need to continue, keep our foot on the accelerator, not ease off at all, to intensify, to get rid of exclusionary zoning so we can build more homes and rentals on, you know, existing properties that we need to build higher around transit stations. The solutions are all there. It's just the courage to get things done. I'm glad Councillor Bradford's on this call. I know he's a big fan of these items, and I hope the new mayor will carry down the path that Brad Mayor Tory had begun. Tipica, there's a certain rootless aspect, I think, to living in a hotel room, but it might suit some people. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Uh, you know, it's it's never going to be home, right? But I think it if you're single and fancy free and you don't spend a lot of time at home and it's the cheaper option, I could definitely see it uh being uh, attractive but not for everyone and it's just one room there's no kitchen so you're take out or eating out so it's it's less than ideal but i guess it would work for some people at some time and uh, hey the fact that i guess your housekeeping gets done every day now that would be a big plus um but you know really more indicative of the housing shortage we have well that's it brad bradford i'll leave it to you to close the loop on this is it a symptom of what's wrong with housing right now yeah, you and Tim have nailed it. It is a symptom. It's a symptom of the housing crisis. It is a symptom of a lack of initiative and deferral and, frankly, big bureaucracy that has made it cost ineffective, prohibitive to actually build the type of supply, both apartments and market units, uh, for two decades. And right now we are facing historic headwinds when it comes to the uh, inflation, construction costs increase, labor costs increase, uh, you know, the interest rates for financing. All of those things are making it very very difficult to get shovels in the ground. And then you got bureaucracy in places like the city of Toronto, uh, where we ask for study after study and circulations, rounds of consultation that take years to get projects approved. You know, the other thing about this is the fact that the hotel is deciding to go out there and seize a market for these types of units. Um, it also begs the question of, you know, why aren't those rooms being booked as hotels as they're intended? And so you think about the city's economic competitiveness in, in a North American market, and you have to ask questions about that too. Why why do hotels feel like it's it's better to p position themselves as short-term rental rather than serving the needs of tourists who are contributing to the economy here? So lots of questions, but it's it's not a good look. We need to build a lot more housing.
There's a proposal in Toronto. It's kind of like a negative billing option, I guess. If you were to, for example, go to a fast food restaurant and want to take away that food, that you'd actually have to ask for the utensils and ask for the plastic bag. You wouldn't automatically get it. Uh, Dipika, I'll start with you on this one. I don't see that as particularly onerous. I know that some people think that you're just going to end up in a dead stare with the clerk because you haven't said the magic words, but I don't see it. I'm pretty sure they'll just say, do you want knives and forks? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And, you know, it reminded me of, for a while at least, every time you were at a checkout on any grocery store, they would ask you, do you want a credit card? And they ha- and I had a friend who worked that and said they had to ask. And if they didn't ask, like they'd get docked or whatever. And it seems like a similar idea here. So you're going to force the you know, fast food restaurant owner to ask the question. And the way I understand it, there's some kind of Toronto police policing to make sure that that question is being asked. And I just think that's a waste of money, $250,000 to go around making sure that, you know, restaurants are asking, do you want a knife and fork? And the reason I say that is the intent's very good. I support anything that would reduce single-use plastics. The easy option would be to say, start charging, you know, 20 cents if you extra. And the moment you say, you know what, it's 20 cents for a knife and fork, there's going to be people who want to bring their own knife and fork or, you know, forego it because it's a burger. But what Toronto is trying to do is because they don't have the proper jurisdiction to enforce maybe, you know, charging for fork and spoon, they're sort of down to asking, making sure that the question is asked. Intent's fine, you know, maybe a little bit of a reminder every time, but it's a bit Mickey Mouse, so I don't think it's going to be very effective. All right. Are you voting for this uh, when it comes to a motion? I don't know. There's there's a lot of questions with this thing, like so many things the city does, great aspirations, but the devil's in the details. The implementation is always a lot more difficult. Look, uh, the staff are asking for $450,000 to stand this thing up. Nearly half, half a million dollars in this budget environment is a big ask. We've also asked, not me, but my council colleagues, uh, for $300,000 to do a study on a two-stroke motor ban in the city of Toronto, something that, of course, we can't enforce. We can't tell. Lowe's and Home Depot, what type of uh, lawn equipment to sell. So, you know, there'll be a robust debate about this, but I could tell you as a father with a five-month-old and a three-year-old, when I go out for food, I'm asking for more napkins. I find like they, they ration me on the napkins. I go in there, I open up the bag, there's one friggin' napkin, and that's totally inadequate. So you can keep the, the plastic forks, that's fine. My, my girls eat with their hands. Uh, we're, we're a hand-bombing kind of household, so that's fine. But the napkins, man, give me some napkins. Okay, listen, I wanted to hop to a couple of other things without going on about knives and forks all morning. Uh, an emergency suicide hotline goes active uh, 90 seconds from now. And Tim Hudak, I think it's a, a welcome development. Yeah, it's, it's a good good idea. Nine eight eight, right? An easy number to remember, and it's going to be twenty four seven, run nationally by professionals. Uh, thank God, I've never been in that situation, but I know many uh, have been, where they are considering suicide or loved one is, and to at a quick call to get a specialist. I think it's an outstanding idea, good for the federal government to involve itself in this. And I was waiting for that knife and fork. I'm just going to put in my word, Brad. Please vote against this. Once we get the streets working, the crime down, you can move around the city. 
Get the resources there instead of being the fork police. And if you can use that knife and fork on the King Street streetcar, we'll have solved every problem today. A quick question, Dipika, for you. Um, Should Bonnie Crombie succeed on Saturday night? Does somebody get the chain of office on Sunday? Well, she has to step down officially just because she gets... The, wins the leadership doesn't mean she has stepped down and technically there's nothing in any legislation that forces her to step down as mayor so technically i'm just saying technically yeah. i'm not saying she's doing this she could continue to be the leader of the ontario liberal party should she win and the mayor now so it's up to her when she steps down so once she steps down then you know we would have the acting mayor system kick in until council votes to declare a vacancy. And then when a vacancy is declared, then, you know, we have the option of saying, well, how should this vacancy be filled? So it's like a three-step process. But through all of that, step one, Bonnie has to step down. Step two, the acting mayor will kick in, uh, whoever's turn it is. And then step three is uh, you know, council has a motion that says we've declared the seat vacant and now decide yeah. how to fill it, whether it's a by-election or appointment. Okay. Well, and I hear she's very fond of that chain of office, so let's see what happens. Thank you all. Good to have you, Brad Bradford, Tim Hudak, and Dipika DeMerla. Coming up, we just finally got a statement from the uh, BIA, the Greek town Danforth BIA. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.